<laughs> December 1961, Tanzania was declared independent. And that night, when the British flag was lowered, and then the Tanganyika flag went up, it was quite uh, an historic moment. JT, we're finally doing an African country. How excited are you? Pretty excited. Can yeah. you tell? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit? Okay. Um, so everyone, welcome to the fifth episode of Global. My name is Sinclair Stafford. And I'm JT. JT also happens to be our regional director for Africa. And Sinclair was my partner on the Columbia podcast, and we've been reunited. So. Yes. It's good to be back with you. Definitely. If you're new to Global on this podcast, we dive into a new country each month and discuss its past, present, and future. So this one is Tanzania. And um, Tanzania is a country I know a lot about. I've been there several times and also helped IRI actually establish its office there uh, a few years ago. And we have a pretty robust program. We'll hear a little bit about that later on in this episode. Before we get started, why don't you give us the fast facts? First, you have to know where Tanzania is. It's in East Africa. It's bordered by the Indian Ocean and a number of other countries, namely Kenya, Uganda. Um, there's also Rwanda, Burundi, and others. It gets its name by a combination of two countries. Essentially, Tanzania is a union uh, between two countries. We'll, again, hear more about that later on the episode. But Tanganyika was one of the countries, and Zanzibar is the other. Mm -hmm. And as you get that, Tanganyika, Zanzibar, you get Tanzania. So that's how it works. I never knew that. Then two official languages, Swahili and English. But Swahili in particular is well known. In fact, the Tanzanians take it quite seriously. Why, why so serious? Well, it's really, it's not just about. <laughs> I didn't even need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Swahili is a critical language that was used to really unify a diverse country that was unified together after independence. And we're going to hear about this guy, Nyerere. Um, from one of our guests, and I think uh, it'll all make sense then. Tanzania is about 53 million people, similar to about the same population as South Africa, off by a little bit. Um, it's about 60, a little bit more than 60% Christian, 35% Muslim, um, and nearly the entire uh, country of Zanzibar or part of Zanzibar is Muslim. So we'll also hear about those dynamics, which are important um, to understanding the, the complex uh, complexities of the country. It is a presidential republic. Of course, the presidential republic is made up of a strong president. Then you've got um, a national assembly, which they call the Bunge, which is basically like the house of the people. And then, um, then a prime minister comes out of that, sort of runs the government business. And then in Zanzibar, while Zanzibaris are represented in this national house in the Bunge, they also have their own house of representatives and their own presidency and their own vice presidents. When we think of Zanzibar, we think of like beaches and oceans and waves, but it really, it's an archipelago of islands. Um, so you've got the two big ones, with which is Ngunja and uh, Pemba. And then Sinclair, there's also this other island called Mafia. Oh. Yeah. Like the Italians? Oh, you said it, not me. <laughs> uh, you know, you're really into this whole Mafia thing. I remember you I, in, in the Columbia episode talking really? about narcos and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, for Zanzibar, what's really important to know is that um, it has long been sort of an, a, a trading post, a stop away, away station into continental East Africa. And we'll hear a lot about the Persians, the Portuguese, the British, the Germans. I mean, so many different people have traveled through. Uh, we also had the the quiz question, right? The trivia question from the previous, at the very end of the previous episode, right? Oh, yeah, remind me what that was. So it was the location of the oldest U.S. consulate in sub-Saharan Africa. Okay. Which is in? Zanzibar. There you go. Okay. <laughs> and then if you really want to get into Zanzibar, not only is it really important culturally, politically, it's really part, really forms this union, but also, it has played a big role in rock and roll, in the history of rock and roll. Did I'm, you know this? No, I'm having trouble picturing how you know this little island in Africa could play a role in rock and roll. Well, have you ever heard of a gentleman by the name of Farouk Boussara? I uh, can't say that I have. You ever heard of Freddie Mercury? Yeah. <laughs> They're the same person, Sinclair. <laughs> lead singer of Queen was born in Zanzibar, 1946, um, of Persian descent. He lived there for a while, then went to school for a little bit in India, came back just before the revolution, went to England. The rest was history. Speaking of music, there's this type of music called bongo flava. Hmm. You ever hear this? No. Sinclair, bongo flava is not like um, a food or something. It's, it's actually a style of music very particular to Tanzania. And in fact, if you want to be cool, Sinclair, I know you're a lover of music. I've seen you hanging out at a few music joints around DC here. <laughs> um, you know, and you go to, you go to Tanzania, you better be looking up bongo flavor. Then there's this mountain, Kilimanjaro. You've heard of it? Yeah, I think I might have heard of Cal okay. Kilimanjaro. Yeah. What, is it, what do you know? Um, I know that it is a snow-capped mountain. That's the picture that comes to mind for me. It's also the highest uh, freestanding mountain and freestanding basically means it's not part of this like large mountain chain. It kind of just rises up through the earth. It has five different climactic zones. So basically like you, if you walk from the bottom of Kilimanjaro all the way up to the top, you will essentially pass through five different climactic zones from like desert to forest, to, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So That's it's pretty cool. Crazy. Yeah. And you can do it in just a couple of days. By comparison, you do that in the U S there's seven climactic zones in the U S I mean, you got to kind of do a little traveling for that. So nature conservation, we've talked about animals. I mean, there's about 4 million, more than 4 million wild animals um, in the country, about 430 species. So we're talking a lot of animals. I mean, if you want to go on a safari and see a lot, you need to go to Tanzania. So what's I promise the I'm not working for the tourism board, but <laughs> just giving you some advice here. But really, I mean, think about it in terms of Animals per, per square kilometer, it's probably um, one of the largest in the world. I mean, the natural parks, the game reserves cover about 30% of the country, which is basically that area, that 30% is like the size of Germany. I mean, think about the size wow. of that. Yeah, it's huge. That is just for the animals. Can you imagine? So um, really interesting stuff and, and not something we really think about all the time when we think about Tanzania. So this all lends back to we've got animals, we've got uh, amazing nature. We've got mountains, we've got craters, but we also have a lot of different people in this country. It's a, remember I said just that 30% is the size of Germany is a big country. Yeah. And I don't think we, when we, we don't often appreciate the size of some of these countries in Africa, I mean, democratic Republic of Congo, 
size of Western Europe, the size of Western Europe, one That's hard to believe. Can you imagine? So think about it. Um, Tanzania is quite huge. And with that comes a lot of different people. Over 120 languages, different languages spoken there. I did say English and Swahili, but all of these sort of ethnicities that have settled there over time. Um, most of them are Bantu, which is sort of a majority language that we hear um, in sort of the derivative of many languages. Tanzania is made up of about 130 tribes. And we're talking like, not like people. I mean, they're all very unique. Rich in culture, rich in history. What else can you do? I mean, this is a really cool country. Yeah, you've really painted a crazy, amazing picture for us. When are you going to buy your ticket? <laughs> Thinking I might do it soon. All right, well, um, let's get started on our podcast yeah. first, at least. Since Tanzania is a union of two countries and there are two official languages, the remainder of this podcast is going to be a tale of two ambassadors. Um, our first guest is the former Tanzanian ambassador to the United States, Liberata Mulamula. Beautiful name, right, Sinclair? Yeah, I, just, I think that name is so musical. Although Sinclair Stafford's a pretty cool name. Uh, it's, it's very formal and rigid sounding compared to Liberata. Yeah, but it's beautiful. I love it. Um, so Liberata Mulamula, Ambassador Mulamula, as you said, former Tanzanian ambassador to the U.S. She's also worked in the United Nations. She's also worked in Canada. She's also worked in a number of other posts, including her own country. And then our second guest, you know, we had to pull a lot of strings to get him on this show. And he's the former ambassador to Tanzania from the U.S., Mark Green. Ambassador Green's a former congressman from Wisconsin, and he also happens to be the president of this little organization called the International Republican Institute. Yeah, it's a small, it's a small organization. Yeah, um, yeah Mark Green is the president of IRI. Um, he's been in and out of Africa for quite some time, back to his younger days. And, you know, while it is a big get for us, it's pretty easy to get him to talk about Tanzania, as you'll see. Uh, he loves talking about it. And, and you know what? Um, we love listening to him, so it's great to get him on this podcast. All right, let's get started. Ambassador Mulamula, could you please give us a brief history of Tanzania up until the 1990s? Our history, like many other African countries, it was uh, characterized by the slavery, colonialism. We always say we're also victims of slavery and uh, colonialism. Slavery in the sense that um, there was a slave trade that was conducted uh, in Tanzania, Tanzania coast, and especially in Zanzibar. You know, Tanzania is made of Tanganyika and, and Zanzibar to make it Tanzania. And uh, also the history of colonialism, the, of course, when the Europe decided to partition Africa to be their territories, Tanzania, in the, after the partitioning, it became the colony of German. This was uh, before the World War One, before 1914. This from 1870s to 1914, we were under the Germans. So we had to adapt our way of living to the Germans. Of course, they brought so-called civilization, new infrastructure. We still have one of the longest uh, railway line <laughs> that was built by the Germans from the coast of Tanzania to the mainland. So that's what remains as a, a German legacy of the infrastructure, but the rest was not good. And then after the World War I, they formed the League of Nations. Tanzania was put under the, uh, the governorship of the League of Nations under the mandate of the League of Nations to govern it. But then the, the Allied powers or the victorious powers decided to, pa to partition further the, the German colonies. And Tanzania was put under the protectorate of the British. 
and um, to, to take care <laughs> of this territory. But good enough, in 1945, when the United Nations was formed, then Tanzania became and also under the trusteeship of the United Nations to ensure that uh, Tanzania would be able to qualify for independence, but uh, under the close monitoring of the United Nations. So there were a number of missions that were sent to Tanzania to see how prepared Tanzania, Tanganyika then, it was not yet Tanzania. Tanganyika was prepared to gain independence. And following also a number of petitions from the Tanzanians, from the chiefs, from the natives, they made trips to the United Nations in New York to plead for independence. And uh, unlike, of course, the other countries in Africa that uh, gained their independence through bloodshed, ours was through negotiations by making strong case for Tanzania. And then by 1961, then the United Nations was convinced that uh, we were ready for independence because we had also... Our founding fathers had formed the first political parties, political organizations, associations, to be able to take over from the British. So by <laughs> December 1961, Tanzania was declared independent. And that night, when the British flag was lowered and then the Tanganyika flag went up, it was quite a, an historic moment. And we had our first president, Julius so Julius Nyerere was Tanzania's first president, and he's very important. He played an important role here in the rest of this episode as someone who really unified the country, led it through a very tumultuous early period, and was able to instill a sense of nationhood and pride um, in Tanzanians. Tanzania, historically, even now, it is a multilingual country with hundred more than 125 tribes wow. that could not communicate with each other. They all spoke different languages. Different languages. And uh, the president found it very difficult to govern, to administer such a country and people who could not communicate. And very few people had gone to, were educated. We had only 2% of the people, of the population that had been educated. The British, they, they never invested so much in our educating our people. Mwalim was saying even at the time of independence, we had only two engineers. We had, I think, four doctors. <laughs> so there are a lot of challenges. But then he said, let me start by, by unifying the country. And by doing so, he decided that we sh he should introduce one language as a lingua franca that can be spoken by all the Tanzanians. So he made a deliberate policy that all of us, we should learn that language because there was no there were no teachers to teach English everybody. But at least the Swahili language was already spoken along the coast mm -hmm. because of the history of trade and what they saw. You had uh, a good number of people, the population that were speaking the language in uh, in Dar es Salaam and the coast region. So anyway, apart from unifying the country, but also Mwalim thought that uh, we need to have uh, an ideology or a political system mm -hmm. that would be able to bring again for us to live as communities, so intro introduced socialism, mm -hmm. the policy of socialism, and self-reliance. But then the interpretation of the world, including the United States, interpreted that as communism. Mm -hmm. During the Cold War, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, it all came also to the Cold War. So, and also, of course, like, uh, the Americans kind of abandoned us because they saw, like, we were communists. <laughs> so anyway, Tanzania became so interesting because of that 
socialism, but also became so famous because because of this very deliberate policies, Tanzania became very stable. It, Tanzania became a unified country. Tanzania became peaceful. This was quite unique, and this formed a diversity kind of Tanzanian. We and it is also when you have people fighting across tribalism, across racial tensions. We never had that. Yeah, we do. You, you don't see that in places like mm. Kenya, Rwanda, yes. Burundi, where where you had and continue to have to this day some yeah. serious tribal and ethnic divisions. You think this policy by Nyerere played a key role in helping Tanzania steer through that? It does, and because when people ask, he said, "Why? How did that Tanzania become so peaceful, so united, so patriotic?" I said, "It doesn't didn't happen overnight. It was through big investment." And then, in terms of Zanzibar, you know, there's something else that happened uh, around that period of of independence. Um, something really, really, really interesting happened there in the 1960s. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, let me start. start because um, Zanzibar had also its unique history. It, it was uh, ruled by the Arabs, and uh, the Sultan of Muscat, Oman, moved to Zanzibar. <laughs> so it was uh, it was like their territory, but then. Through the revolution, there was uh, a war of revolution, and um, in Zanzibar they were able in 1964 to be able to drive out <laughs> the, the the Arab rule, and they gained their own independence. After they gained their independence, the from the Arab, of course, they, there was the British also, but then the Arab took control, and the revolution of Zanzibar was succeeded. That you had the natives of Zanzibar taking over and have their first president, Karume. But then, Mwalim, again, Mwalim Nyerere, <laughs> in his own visionary mind, says, if we let Zanzibar lose, then it will be very difficult to safeguard the, the, I mean, the peace and territorial integrity of Tanganyika. Because they're they are just next door. Yeah, too <laughs> yes. close. Too yeah. close. Too close for comfort. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so then, they were able to to negotiate and talk with the president of Zanzibar and came up with this union that let's make it one country. But with time, it has evolved to be able to take its own uh, shape as a, a union, but also Zanzibar still wanting to have their, their own more of uh, freedom, uh, have uh, their own kind of government. This has sometimes caused a lot of tension between men and there. In the, uh, in the Zanzibar, but also the the political system, there was some sort of, again, tension because in Zanzibar, you had two factions. Those, the revolutionaries, and those who are seen as not revolutionaries. They were still pro-Arabs. This is important to know, as many of these divisions are still relevant today. Ambassador Mula Mula, how did multi-party democracy form in Tanzania? At the time of independence, Tanzania declared this state as a one-party state. And uh, given the 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 ardent need of having forming a national wood, forming unity, then our founder president was saying we cannot entertain this but mat mat partism. It will divide the country instead of uniting it. But then by the nineties, when there was so much pressure, I must say there was international pressure. Because, you know, the aid was also suspended. Relations were not good with the, the democratic, the advanced democratic nations. And so Mualim says, 
Now, I think I give up. <laughs> there was so much pressure to liberalize the economy from the state controlled. So there was a mix of changes. But also, Mualim thought he said, uh, no, I think uh, I'm leading the signs on the wall that my time is up. He's been so, in power for 25 years. Yes. Right? I mean, from 1961 to 1985. It's a long time. Yes, a long time. So he decided to step down. He said to allow this wave of change to take its course. And then he handed over to our second president in 1985. And this president, Hali Hassan Mwini, is from, was from Zanzibar. So that again was a kind of a powerful uh, transition. <laughs> And um, the President Mwini by then was the president of Zanzibar, but uh, then he took over. How did this transition happen? Was he elected? Was You know, our election by then with the one-party state was elections, but not the elections you know. <laughs> so he was still a member was, of that. Yeah, that because party. it was one candidate. You have one candidate who was endorsed by the party. And, and which then, party was that for our listeners? Yeah, for our... <laughs> Was what they call CCM, Chama Chama Pinduzi, which is a revolutionary party. It's important they had that peaceful transition of power because who knows what might have happened if um, President Nyeri decided to stay longer. Oh, yes. um, Or decided he wasn't going to go down without a fight. Yeah, because I mean, there were military coups in other countries to force these uh, leaders out (laughs) out of office through the violent military means. But for us, it was quite peaceful. And then uh, President uh, Mwinyi took over. And then, as he took over, then he introduced the, the smart party system, but through, of course, yeah, a number of reforms, through the constitutional amendments. And um, they were also, also to liberalize the economy from state-controlled to a free market economy. So how did those first multi-party elections go? <laughs> how were they? <laughs> Not easy because there was no infrastructure for the mad parties. And then you have um, these parties that were not prepared to be as opposition parties. But then, of course, uh, the, with those reforms, they opened up for the many parties. But then you had the political parties, maybe with two, two members. <laughs> we the have su- suitcase party. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> but then you have well, could be family parties. Mm-hmm. You have the father, the father-in-law, the son-in-law, the daughter-in-law making up a party. <laughs> <laughs> so they were in the uh, literal, I mean, definition of political parties. They were not uh, really strong political parties mm-hmm. as such. So by the time the the second, I mean, the third president, and we say the third phase government, is uh, from 1995 to 2005, oh, we had really matured. <laughs> we had really matured, but still, the ruling party was still dominant, still dominant. But you had at least the mem- a good number of members of parliament who put up a big challenge, also made the parliamentary sessions more interesting. And that's because, where parties actually actually became a little yes, more competitive, yes. right? Local elections. Yes, and, local elections, through local elections, exactly. So not more at the presidency, but at least yeah. through the local elections, the parliamentary elections became more, more competitive, more competitive. And um, you had for the first time in parliament, these parties questioning the government programs, budgets, putting the government to accountability. So it, it became... Quite, quite interesting. <laughs>
So, um, Ambassador Green, who is the current leader of Tanzania, and what platform was he elected on? So, the current president is uh, a man by the name of John Pombe Magofuli, and uh, President Magofuli is uh, the leader of CCM, the the uh, ruling party since Nyerere's day. Uh, his nickname is the Bulldozer. He was a minister of public works, which is actually uh, how m- many uh, from the U.S. government got to know him, because that was one of our principal. Um, interlocutories with a lot of the infrastructure projects involved his ministry. Uh, He was elected on a platform, I think, to take on corruption. And I think, to his credit, has taken on corruption in some way, some high-profile calling out of of corrupt officials. Um, In fairness, I think it's been a little bit uh, uneven and inconsistent. But nonetheless, he has done what uh, those who went before him did not do, which is high-profile uh, anti-corruption cases. And I think that probably gives the people of Tanzania a great deal of hope that the long-standing challenge of corruption uh, will be taken on. So I, you know, to his great credit, I think he, is, he has made some good moves in that direction. And who's the current opposition leader? Well, there really isn't one opposition leader, and that may be one of the challenges in Tanzania, that they don't have a united opposition um, in the last set of elections, it was former Prime Minister Edward Lawasa. He was the standard bearer of something called Ukawa, which was a coalition of opposition parties. He, uh, he obviously fell short in that. And since then, the opposition parties have gone back to their, uh, to their normal role, and there really isn't a single leader. And, and part of that is also because of the difference between the mainland and Zanzibar. So in, in some ways, CCM, the governing party on the mainland, is different than CCM on Zanzibar. And so the opposition is a little bit different, and that, that contributes to it. So there really isn't one united opposition or united opposition leader. Talk a little bit about Zanzibar and the opposition there. Well, Zanzibar, in many respects, certainly from a political standpoint, is the most interesting part of the country. But it has been closely divided between CCM, Zanzibar, and CUF, the Civic United Front, which is the principal opposition there. And uh, many observers believe that a couple of elections, presidential elections ago, CUF may well have won the elections, except for some irregularities. Uh, But it's always been very close. In 2015, there was the sense that CUF uh, was likely to win in a fair, straight-up election. And indeed, on election day, all of the early returns, and they were reported publicly, showed Cuff, in fact, winning and actually winning um, probably by a, a significant margin for an opposition party. And it was in the middle of that process that the chair of the Zanzibar Election Commission, the ZEC, as they call it, nullified the election, suspended the uh, elections, nullified them. And that created, uh, as you would imagine, uh, tremendous turmoil. It also immediately caused uh, observers of the election, including the U.S., to um, uh, sharply criticize and even condemn the conduct of those elections on that day. And unfortunately, I think it was a real setback for democracy. Now, they did reschedule the elections for a couple of months later, but uh, the opposition party boycotted, not believing that it would get a fair deal and more importantly, believing it had already won the elections. And uh, you know, really nobody looked at those elections, those, that next round of elections in, Mar- in March as being fair and credible elections. And that really has created some instability 
uh, on Zanzibar and real questions about the mandate uh, for the current regime governing there. My great fear has been that, uh, with some notable exceptions, there have been some incidents of violence over the years. I think the opposition party has actually conducted itself well over the years and has tried to engage in a constructive way. Um, But I think the way these elections were handled uh, inappropriately by nearly every account um, raises great concerns about the viability of the democratic process and certainly I think is creating some frustrations with the opposition that I worry will have long-term damaging uh, repercussions for a country which had been a democratic success story for some years. So uh, what are the key political issues facing the country right now? Well, I, I think that's one. Um, you know, Tanzania since 1992 has been on a path towards developing a true multi-party democracy. These elections in 2015, uh, now we should separate out. While I think there were hitches here and there on the mainland, I think everybody believes those elections on the mainland did uh, credibly reflect the will of the people. So the irregularities we're pointing to are largely confined to Zanzibar. And the opposition did well on the mainland and as well in, in well parliament. In, uh, in the mainland. But on, but on Zanzibar, it raised real questions about the viability of a multi-party democracy. Um, I remember being asked by a few observers around that time, and they asked me if this meant that uh, multi-party democracy was over in Zanzibar. And I said, well, they're multi-party democracy, but only on good days. In other words, the, uh, the ruling party loves multi-party democracy when they're winning. Uh, but I think these elections raised real questions. I think related to that, important political issues are uh, uh, you know, really how the government will view diversity of opinion. And we've seen some crackdowns, abuses of, of laws like the cybercrime law, which was uh, not well drafted, but it has been used by the government to, uh, on occasion, crack down on diversity, dissent and diversity of opinion. And we've seen it in a few other ways. So I think how um, diversity of opinion is tolerated, protected, and constructively engaged may be in some ways the single most important set of issues um, in Tanzania. And then externally, how Tanzania continues to play a leadership role, a very important leadership role in external matters like the peace deal in Burundi, um, uh, East, the uh, East Africa community, and um, the role that it's going to play. I think those are all important issues, too. Could you elaborate on the cybercrimes crackdown a little bit more? We saw some of that during the elections. We've since seen um, a number of arrests of different journalists or activists who using WhatsApp or other electronic devices. About a year out from the elections, Tanzania quickly passed a cybercrime law, which basically um, was purported to protect against those who would abuse the Internet and social media for criminal purposes. But uh, a number of observers, including uh, the U.S. government, uh, on a friendly basis had raised uh, concerns over the ambiguity in the law and how it could be used to crack down on dissent. Unfortunately, in the lead up to those elections in 2015, we started to see its application. So there was the pushing back on uh, those who had expressed dissent using social media and in fact, there were some arrests in most cases that I'm aware of. There were arrests, temporary detention, and then uh, release. But 
obviously a chilling of dissent when you, you apply the law like that. And so, unfortunately, um, what started off apparently as uh, a well-meaning, if imprecise, tool for cracking down on true cybercrime has now become a vehicle for uh, some in the government to crack down on those who would express contrary points of view. And so that's been a, a real concern. We've even seen most recently the arrest of a rapper who chose to express or in his uh, music to criticize the government, the president, and that led to his arrest. Again, eventual release. But when those things occur, it obviously sends a very clear message to anybody who would express a dissenting point of view, and that's a great We've concern. even seen MPs arrested, right, uh, opposition MPs. Uh, what does this tell us about the future of democracy in Tanzania? Well, it, it tells us that we're in uh, the middle of a crossroads moment. Now, I'm a great believer in democracy in Tanzania. I think the people of Tanzania have long been strong supporters of diverse points of view and constructive engagement in democracy. Throughout my time in Tanzania, both as ambassador and, and in my visit since then, people rightly point with pride to um, what was established by Nyerere and been built upon, this idea that a country which has more than 100 different ethnic groups and people from a range of religious communities have been able to come together express contrary points of view, to engage, to be strong Tanzanians despite the different points of view and different backgrounds. And I think that these last elections were a bit of a setback. It suggested that, at least on the margins, uh, some dissent would not be tolerated. And so I think how that is addressed in coming months and the next few years will really cast uh, Tanzania's democratic future. Will it continue to be um, I think, an island of democracy and tolerance, or will it sadly go in a different direction, which I think would be a, a terrible thing and, 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 again, would really, in my opinion, be a, a betrayal of what Mwalimu Nyerere had, uh, had established. Yeah, and we've seen in the region, and I think we've, we're, we're seeing it now to some degree in Tanzania, as this debate between freedom of expression, freedom of democracy, um, versus this need for security, economic development, um, the message coming out that, you know, hate speech can be divisive, so we, we tamp down on free speech. Do you, do you think that this ultimately um, is the view of the, the CCM government currently in power? Do they, do they see this issue of security and economic development over top of democratic freedom? You know, I, I, again, I believe that Tanzanians are very proud of their democratic traditions. And, and so perhaps these are mistakes that um, have been made. Um, uh, while the intentions may be uh, good in the sense that everybody wants to get things done, and, and, and obviously dictatorships can get things done, um, but the costs along the way, uh, the damage done to the system and the setbacks to diversity of opinion, I think, in the long run are quite dangerous. You know, something we haven't talked about, but I think it plays in, this is a very young country. The average age of a Tanzanian is 18 and going down. And so you have the youth bulge, a rising generation of young Tanzanians who want to be part of the government and want to engage and want to bring their own unique ideas um, and contributions to the government and to the society. 
And so my sense is that young people are wondering whether or not they'll be welcome to engage if their point of view may be different from the orthodoxy of a particular party of a particular uh, government. So again, I think that Tanzania in many ways is at a crossroads moment. Well, one of the things, of course, that comes out of this unique relationship is uh, increased support from the U.S. in terms of areas of democracy and governance assistance. And of course, IRI's work on democracy uh, also extends into Tanzania. Could you tell us a little bit about what we do there and, and, and how that really impacts the overall movement of the country? Well, as you might imagine, I'm biased. I am delighted that IRI has such a strong program and, in Tanzania. And my uh, my disclaimer that I did help set up that office. Yeah, so, so you and I are both biased. Yeah, we're all biased. Uh, in, Sinclair, in of that. keep us honest. <laughs> um, well, you know, I think the work that IRI is doing in Tanzania is an effort to help the country realize its democratic and economic potential. In particular, we're working with marginalized communities, women and, and young people uh, most notably, and helping them to engage to keep democracy vibrant. You know, at IRI, we believe very strongly that no democracy is representative if it isn't fully listening to half of its people. No democracy can succeed in meeting its challenges if it doesn't turn to all of its people for the leadership it needs, and that's at the heart of the work that we're doing. Uh, we're also working, in work that I'm very proud of, working to analyze, diagnose, and help um, address conditions that could lead to violent extremism. And that's an important part of our work. The diversity that is Tanzania's greatest strength if, um, you know, can also be exploited by extremists. And so we work shoulder to shoulder with Tanzanians as they try to promote tolerance and constructive engagement. We stand at their side doing whatever we can to help them in that process. And I think that's a key part of, uh, of the work that we're doing. So that's work that I feel very good about. I think it, it helps Tanzania reach its potential. And obviously at the same time, as an organization that has a singular focus on advancing democracy around the world, it's a great part of the work that we're doing and an important part of our overall mission. Ambassador Green, if an international time capsule was shot off into deep space, what would be included in it to represent Tanzania? So again, I'm biased. I'm not sure that Tanzania could fit everything into a time capsule. So I would say it's everything from... Um, uh, photographs from Gombe to photographs from the top of Kilimanjaro to um, um, maybe a, a pizza from uh, Mercury's Pizza on Zanzibar. So Tanzania is a country with an awful lot to contribute. Can you tell us a little bit about that that whole thing, Freddie Mercury? I mean, I think a lot of our uh, listeners were would be really taken so by I, surprise. So I think most people don't realize that Freddie Mercury of Queen, founder and lead singer of Queen, was actually a Zanzibari and um, uh, lived in, in Zanzibar until I think his early teens before he went to the UK with his family. But there is a Mercury's restaurant there, which is rather campy and celebrates Queen and has Queen t-shirts and such, but the best seafood pizza around. Legend has it that the name Mercury was taken because there was a Nassau space tracking station on Zanzibar, and this was the time of the Mercury uh, space missions. I'm not sure. That. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds pretty good, so we'll yeah, take it. It's, it sounds good. And Sinclair, I got to tell you, if you ever get to Tanzania, 
you need to get a seafood pizza. It's not proper unless it's in Tanzania. A seafood pizza? Yes. Seafood pizza. It is unbelievable. What kind of seafood? Just about anything, anything you can catch. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's got uh, octopus, squid, and all sorts of seafood. Plus mangoes. You've got to have mangoes on it. I don't mind the mangoes. <laughs> so, JT, having you know listened to our speakers and through your own experience about from Tanzania, what do you think are the three main takeaways that our listeners should know after listening to this episode? I think the, 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 the big one that comes to mind is the, the, the fact that Tanzania is a union of two countries, remains a union of two countries, um, has not experienced civil war. And I think it says a lot about um, how this country has come together. Um, of course, what, what has come out of this episode is there you know, probably needs some updating for the 21st century, the union, right? Over time, countries change. And I think when you have these two separate sort of um, systems, you know, they, they do need some updating. So there definitely needs to be some um, constitutional um, movement. And we've heard a little bit about that. I guess the big question is, when will it actually happen? They've, they've put together a draft. They've discussed the matter. Will they go back and do it all over again? Will they take what they have? We, we don't know right now. Yeah, and for me, I think it's um, Tanzania has been and still is a really important country in East and Southern Africa. For so many reasons, um, economic and politically, but also it's played a key role in ensuring peace and stability throughout the region. And I think that relates to Liberata Mulumulu's experience uh, being a peacemaker in the Central African region. Um, and uh, in the past, you know, Tanzania has been a, a haven for refugees. So it's it's a really important country. The third takeaway, which is they have a lot of youth and the next generation of leadership needs to come up. Um, the future of, I think, the political and economic side really needs to come off of this youth bulge and that what a lot of people call that demographic dividend. Will they take this bulge of youth and turn it into a job-making machine and, and an economy that can move forward and a political system that is dynamic? Or will it be a hindrance? Will it be something that takes down a, you know, takes down a, a really good uh, system? Uh, so I think but that requires change. It requires adaptation. It also requires the youth being... Uh, given opportunities to move the country forward. Tanzania is really at a crossroads right now in a lot of different ways. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 thus the region, I think, uh, we're seeing, obviously, the youth bulge. I mean, Africa continues to be and will continue to be in the long near future, uh, if that makes sense. <laughs> Sinclair's sort like, of. no, JT, it does not make sense. Um, it is the youngest continent, and it continues to get younger. <laughs> So we have to thank our guest, Liberata Milamula. Um, you know, such a lively, fun presence and very knowledgeable at the same time. Such a, a pleasure to have her on the show. She really is. And, you know, we wish her we wish her well in the work that she's doing. And uh, we look forward to staying in touch with her. Big thanks to her and also to Ambassador Mark Green, president of IRI, former, again, U.S. Uh, ambassador to Tanzania and really someone who has deep knowledge and love of the country. So it was really great to hear from him as well. And he's our boss, so. Yes, kind of have to say it. But, <laughs> but we mean it, boss. No we mean it. So for our music, our theme was composed by Alex Hollinghead. Throughout this episode, you've heard Salom by Saidi Karoli, Mdogo Mdogo by Diamond Platinums, and Salom by Diamond Platinums. Uh, Sinclair 
diamond platinums. That's how you get schooled on bungo flavor. So I thought, is it the kind of jewelry that I'm supposed to get? Like, <laughs> well, it's kind of. He makes you feel that way. He makes you feel diamond platinum. Yeah, yeah. diamond platinum. Yeah. Yeah. If you'd like to hear a specific country, rate us. Leave a review and tell us what country you'd like to hear about in the future. IRI is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to advancing democracy worldwide. If you'd like to hear more about our work, you can visit IRI.org or check out our blog, Democracy Speaks. Until next time. Until next time. Kwai Harry. What does that mean? Goodbye. <laughs> but Harry. <laughs> <laughs>